and I cried out to God. And I said, you know, what is going on? Where are you? Why am I going through this? Um, and I got the same answer that I always got, um, which, Tony, if I'm being honest, it was no answer. Welcome to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help busy people reclaim good practices for faith and life. Here's your host, Tony Meltenberger. Uh, I'm here today with a friend of mine, a, a guy that actually we used to work together at a church, uh, Derek Latimer. Derek, how the heck are you? Hello, Tony. I am well. So Derek has a unique perspective than most of my guests. Um, Derek has kind of been on this self-discovery journey for the last several years, and I thought I would bring him on so that we could have an open conversation about it. I think that if you're a person of faith and you're listening to this conversation, I want to challenge you to just listen with an open heart and an open mind. If you're not a person of faith, um, then you probably won't have much baggage associated with this conversation. But uh, Derek, um, I, I want to make sure I get the term right. So would, would you call yourself an atheist? Is, is that the right way to say that? How would you say it? Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> I would uh, – so I actually – I don't really like um, – you know, labels are hard because you use the word baggage. Labels have baggage associated with them. So anytime you hear – a word, whether it's Christian, whether it's atheist, it's going to have like there are thoughts that are going to pop into your head that you associate this with certain people in your experience in your life. But for the sake of clarity, um, I discovered a new term uh, this last year. I had been listening to some talks by a theologian. His name is Bart Ehrman, teaches at uh, UNC Chapel Hill uh, as a professor of New Testament, and he calls himself an agnostic atheist. And the way he defines it is that um, he the word agnostic uh, applies to what he knows. And so he's willing to admit that he does not know the truth uh, about the nature of the universe. I'm going to start referring to this as me now because I don't want to put words in his mouth. Uh, Fair enough. I, I don't know the, um, you know, it's impossible for anyone to know. We weren't there at the beginning, so we can't say for sure. I think that anyone who's honest with themselves, a person of faith or not, has to admit that, that this is what I believe, but I don't know for sure. Um, so I can, I can believe what science tells me. I can believe what the church tells me, but I truly in my heart, I don't know. Um, but then we move to the atheist word. This is what I believe, and what I believe is that there is not a creator. I do not believe that there is a uh, divine, all-knowing being. Uh, that's so. Agnostic applies to what I know. Gnosis, the word, the root word, gnosis, knowledge. Atheist applies to what I believe. So I do not know, but I do not believe. So does that make sense? Did I? Explain? Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I I think just as a point of clarity, you and I have um, we've met and we've talked about this and we're we're clearly on different sides of this discussion. Um, and so part of this conversation, you know, I, I, you know, I have a goal to kind of respect your views. And I know you well enough to know that you'll do the same for me. And maybe in this conversation, we can model what that might look like for Christians and non-Christians and 
Well, I mean, right side, left side, if there's anything that I know about this country, it's that we have lost the art of polite disagreement. And so uh, I'm hopeful in our conversation, even though we're kind of on different sides of the, the camp, that we can that we can hear more about that. And, I, you know, just a, as you and I have talked about before, is that I'm I'm not here to try to convince you to breathe, uh, to believe what I believe. And and I'm I'm know that you feel the same way. Fair enough. I would love to convince you to believe what I believe, but it is not my goal. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> um, so can I say a little bit more about what you just said? Yeah, please. I mean, you're going to edit whatever you don't want out of this anyway. So it's okay. I like it raw better. Cool, cool. Uh, so uh, you mentioned that we worked at a church together. I So I grew up in the church. Um, yeah. I mean, a long time. As long as I can remember, I was in a church. Now, my parents weren't raised in the church. But they chose to raise, raise my brother and I in the church um, just to give us a place to be around other people, a positive environment. Uh, and then they, I think, became stronger believers in the process as well. Uh, so I you know, went to college. I have a bachelor's degree in religion. I have a master's degree in Christian ministry. Yeah, One you of, went all in on, on the church thing. All in. I was a youth pastor and other roles in the church for almost a decade, like just a few months shy of 10 years. Um, but one of the classes I took in seminary in grad school is uh, we talked about how we approach uh, conversations with people who differ from us. And there were many different methods, and I don't remember any of the other methods, but they all had to do with a bridge. And it's, you know, whether you stand on this side of the shore and yell to the other person on the other side or whether you cross the bridge and you both meet in the middle. And it was kind of like a personality test. And the way my uh, style of interacting with people I disagree with was that I fully crossed the bridge to the other side to meet the other person. Um, so, yeah, I have no problem having this kind of conversation with a person who I respect and I care about and but our views differ. Um, and I think this could be yeah, a good example for how other people could approach the conversation. Maybe we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic even. So, so let's, let's dive right in. So you gave us a lot there to think about. You grew up in the church. Um, you worked at a church for gosh, almost a decade. Um, went and got your master's degree. You've done a lot of, of work, uh, around the idea of promoting faith, specifically even faith in Jesus Christ, you know, so it's not even, you weren't even a generalist in this, you were fairly specific. Right. Um, kind of take me through the process where you began to question everything as you know it, and and then walk me through how your world flipped. So I think I've always had uh, an aspect of my personality that causes me to question authority. Um, if I had to say where that came from, it's probably my mom, um, just because her nature is to question the things around her. And I think she taught me that. Um, why is this the way it is? And who says it has to be that way? So that's always been a part of my personality. Um, I've always kind of bucked authority. Why do I have to do this the way I do it? And it gets me into trouble sometimes because I can do it just for the sake of doing it, um, which is not always uh, <laughs> the best way to do things. Some authority is good and some people are correct and you should follow them. Um, when I 
you know, if you have studied religion in a higher education venue, um, that's not like um, Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I, I, I can see the smile on your face when you when you were trying to be polite. But yet there are some institutions out there that don't leave room for honest dialogue. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's probably that's probably a characteristic of the type of institution you're going to. It says a lot about the institutions I've gone to. I went to uh, Bluffton University, a liberal arts college, and I went to uh, United Theological Seminary, where we both have attended. Um, and both, I was lucky enough to have professors and curriculum that were very, uh, diverse and very encouraging of self questioning and, um, you know, seeking your own path. And so I would say it started in college because if you go to college, really just in general, whether you're studying religion or not, you go to college and your door to the world is swung wide open. College messes people up. It does. It has the potential to, certainly. And, certainly, yeah. You know, I was not um, – I was a good Christian kid. I wasn't a partier or anything at that time, uh, and I didn't uh, – I didn't partake in a lot of the typical college kid stuff. You know, you go, you're away from your parents. You know, my rebellion was I had a credit card for the first time. I'm Big still, spender. <laughs> still dealing with the repercussions of that. Oh. <laughs> but so you go to college and your faith is tested. Uh, if you go to a Christian school, even if you're not studying religion, you're going to have to take some kind of class about faith, about world religions, about religion. And so in that, like in those kind of classes, you hear like someone for the first time in your life says, hey, maybe the story of Noah's Ark didn't actually happen. And maybe it's just a story. Now, it still teaches us about aspects of God and um, the nature of God, but maybe it didn't happen, you know, fact for fact, word for word as it's written in the King James version of the Old Testament uh, or the creation story. You know, maybe the world wasn't created in seven literal days and that half your audience has turned off the podcast. Um, <laughs> I really hope that not half your audience has just done that. But like, no, you I, no I, I think you're bringing up a good point, though, right, is that the moment that you start to question parts of scripture in a way that you didn't even think were possible, which yeah. is what which is what higher education does, is that it, it introduces new lines of thought. And um, once you introduce a new line of thought, then things get really wonky. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're, they're introducing these new lines of thought, not so that you will immediately subscribe to them, but so that they will um, test and challenge what you believe. And uh, you will also learn what other people believe. And in the process of that, you kind of have to figure out what to do with your own faith. Now, in my case, it just made my faith stronger, not in the sense of like, well, everything you're saying is wrong. So I'm going to believe what I believe stronger, more strongly. I don't know what the whatever. Uh, but what it did to me is I took that, I processed it in and said, OK, I started to evaluate. Um, here are the things that are important to my faith. If I find out that. Adam and Eve were not real literal people or the creation story didn't actually happen the way it was written down or Noah's Ark didn't actually happen. The, you know, does that really, what does that change in my faith? 
And it was kind of an evaluation. And I realized like, okay, if I change that, it doesn't really affect what I believe. It doesn't affect the core of what I believe. Yeah, because questioning your faith isn't inherently bad. It's it's actually probably more good than it is bad. From, yeah. You know, like it, it makes it – because I would say I had this similar experience in seminary that, that I went in there and they opened my eyes to – to looking at scripture in ways that I never knew was possible. And then all of a sudden I'm like, man, this is like incredible life-giving stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, and one of the things like you, you learn what your, this is a funny, funny idiom, but you learn what your sacred cows are. And I've had this conversation with other people. Pun uh, intended, no, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, you have, I've had this conversation with other people. If you found out that, whatever from the Bible, you know, this didn't happen, how much would it change your faith? And then you can step, okay, but if you found out that this didn't happen, how much would it change your faith? And what I learned over the time of my education is that I really didn't have any sacred cows. Um, there were no, there was no hill that I die on. Man, these are all religious metaphors. Uh, I think there, it's great. <laughs> you can't escape it. There. There was no um, nothing that I said, okay, no matter what anyone says, this is absolutely true. This one thing is absolutely true. Um, and so the more I would hear, the more I would learn, the more I would take in and process. And some of it I would hear and learn and take in and just completely do away with. No, that doesn't make any sense to me in my experience. I'm, it's interesting, but that's not what I believe. Other things I would take in and it would change what I believe. Uh, I would process it. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense than what I believed before. Um, that resonates with me. So I'm going to take that in as my belief. Um, so over time, I, there just became more and more of those things that made sense to me in the realm of non-belief, uh, in the realm of, uh, let me start over. There were There were more and more people that had ideas that fell outside the doctrine of the church that made sense to me than those within the doctrine of the church. And so I was experiencing these people with these ideas that really resonated with my understanding of the universe and with my experience personally. But they were the people who the people in the church were pointing fingers at and labeling heretics and, you know, not welcoming those ideas. And so through that time, I kind of just began to realize, like, I, uh, I don't believe the way I did before and the people that I'm surrounded with um, are kind of holding me back um, in the sense that they don't want me to explore. They don't want me to find out what I believe the truth is. Yeah. you. I think is it too far to say that, that you would uh, kind of categorize it by saying that the people in your back were holding the people in your community at that time were holding you back from an evolution of thought that you felt was a natural road for you to go down. Yeah, there were thoughts I wanted to express and things that I wanted to talk about and questions that I wanted to ask that I knew were not welcome with me being a leader in the church, especially yeah. a leader of young people. So at that point in time, you were you were serving at a pretty big. Oh, yeah, we I skipped a bunch of time. Yeah, you went from seminary and then you did. You had several yeah. different church jobs. Yes. Yeah, so I worked at I, – I went to seminary. I graduated – well, I stopped going to seminary. I did eventually graduate, but I stopped going to seminary. I yeah, started you working. took a break. That yeah. happens. 
started working at a church, doing youth ministry, did some college ministry, moved to another church, which is where we met, a large church. Are we allowed to mention the name of the church? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Just like G, asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. No, I think most people that listen know that I worked at Gingamsburg, Derek. <laughs> yeah, so we met at Gingamsburg Church, <laughs> children's ministry there. Um, in the middle of me being at Gingamsburg was when I uh, – towards the end of me being at Gingamsburg is when I started to really question my faith intentionally. Um I was doing it more unintentionally before, like just kind of processing the things that I was hearing and letting them digest and, uh, you know, keeping them or doing away with them. But towards the end of my time at Gingsburg, I started listening to some podcasts of people who were exploring the outer realms of Christianity and, and pushing a little beyond that. It was uh, like mysticism, right? Some of that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's a good word for what I was getting into, mysticism. How would you define it, just so we could get on the same page there? How would you define mysticism? Uh, a good way to remember it is embracing mystery. Um, it is understanding that not everything is uh, black and white. Not everything is um, known. Not everything is known. Um, there's a lot to be said about uh, mystics' connection to to nature and the universe and being able to maybe step back, you know, a million miles and see the huge picture. Um, kind of the vastness idea. Yeah. At least that's what it means to me. It's, it's a, it's hard because I think one of the natures of mysticism is not being able to describe things in words. So, yeah, so it's Im immediately contradictory. <laughs> right. So I was definitely like leaning towards mysticism at that point. As I um, left Kingsburg, moved into another church, um, still a large church. Um, I met some people who were very, uh, also very into mysticism and very encouraging of what is divinity and what is, redefining the word God to me, and and encouraging of. Let's see what's out there. And not that we're being heretical and we're like dabbling in, you know, witchcraft and other religions. We are just exploring and hearing what other people believe and asking questions. And that's healthy. And that's a good thing. Um, I you know, know. I, I think it might also it might also be really prudent for me to jump in on your behalf here and say that, you know, you and I were talking throughout this entire journey that you were on. Mm -hmm. And um and never once did you um, stray away from from what the party line was for the church that you served at. Absolutely. And it's really important. I'm glad that you said that because that brings me that what you just said. We don't have to talk about it now. But what you just said is important for me when it comes to my decision to leave the church. Um, but like you said, through that whole time, I was still very able to adhere to the tenets of Christianity. And I would say that you're. I mean, it it was um it was very very healthy. I, I know at least in your your in your last church where the the questioning really started, and you were, you were open with your senior leadership, and you guys, you know, because you, you were very authentic and and operated with integrity. And um, I, I that's one of the things I really appreciate about you is that you you best you basically held the party line, even though in the back of your mind you weren't. No, you didn't. It wasn't necessarily your party line. Um, how did you live in that tension? It was very difficult. Um, I uh, I noticed that when I 
taught when I gave sermons uh, that I was having to really edit my language to fit what I believed. Um, you had to edit your language so that you would say what the party line was. I had to, I had to edit my language so that I could say what I believed and still toe the party line. Got it. That makes so, sense. So, so yeah, you kind of lived in the tension of what what you thought, uh, what the church thought, and um, and and all the emotions in between. Yeah. Now I think that at that time it was really healthy for for the I think every church should have on staff or on a leadership team a mystic because at that time I think it was really healthy 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 for the church to have people like me. Um, and I wasn't the only one on that staff, but uh, people like me who would question things and push back. And because there are mystics in your congregation, they may not identify themselves as mystics. They may not even have heard that word before, but they're, they are there. And without people like me on the church staff or the leadership team or the creative team, those people would easily get left out. Um, you know, trying to... Uh, and not cater to them, but include them in, in, in the conversation to, to say things in the messages that speak to them, to use uh, art and beauty and mystery and to be honest about your doubt. Um, having someone to challenge those kind of things is, is very important. Um, but yes, back to what you were saying, I was very open with my leadership. I had a very good relationship with the staff at the church. Um, we can start down this road now. One of the things that uh, got the ball rolling to me leaving was we started having, uh, we would have staff conversations, like sanctioned staff conversations. Like we would sit down as a staff every week or every other week. Yeah, it was like staff development. Yeah, it was staff development. We would usually go, uh, we would have a different track, you know, every quarter that we would go over and it was a leadership track or it was, um, I don't remember some of the other ones. Uh, um, some theological tracks too, right? Logical track. That was the one that was the last one that I participated in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, coincidence? Uh, I think not. Yeah. So we would sometimes we would read a book together as a staff, and then each sure, time sure. We together we would um, ask questions to each other. We would go over it, uh, and we had read a book by. Oh, man, I blocked his name out of my uh, mind. Right That's a guy. I remember I remember the book. It was a concert. It was a fairly conservative, a conservative. Uh, Calvinist. Yeah. Conservative Calvinist. Yeah. What's a Calvinist? Explain that probably, for us. Probably better that I don't remember his name and say it out loud. Um, uh, I don't I, I am not up to date on my theology enough to tell you exactly what a Calvinist is other than. They have very firm things that they believe. Uh, you know, I, I won't. It's, I'm it's not, kind I, of a predestination. Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah, a predestination. That, that God, God already knows the outcome to to everything, and it's, you know, like it's God's plan, and and you know, basically you chose that because God predestined you to choose yeah. that. Now this book wasn't really about that. It was. It didn't have much Calvinism in it. It was very your typical like run-of-the-mill conservative Christianity. Yeah, now now on the other side of that, there was like an Arminian, which is more of a free will, 
um, that, you know, God loves us enough to give us free will, which is where a Methodist like myself would tend to fall into. Yes. United. So it's no, United Methodist. Very important to include the United because we joined with the Evangelical Brethren Church. Right? Oh, I I yes. Uh, although in our current context, it's hard to know what we believe. So uh, that's a com- conversation for a different day. So you're in this uh, you're in this staff development, and uh, you're reading this Calvinist, uh, conservative Christian author, and all of a sudden, and and you know I think you called me that day. I I, I mean. Um, it probably was, yeah. And um, and you kind of came to what conclusion? I so to, I I thought about this the last couple of weeks because I was thinking about what am I going to talk about on Tony's podcast. Um, I there were two things that were simultaneously happening in my life. One of them was uh, the church, and I I think I, I I mean big C more than I mean little C. So the church, like the universal church, or at least the like, um, what we would call the kingdom of God, like the, the yeah. Big. Well, I was gonna say more so like mainline Protestant denomination church, Got it. Uh, not not just my local church that I was at. Um, started to move more, and maybe the church didn't start to move. I just started to move, and the church stayed the same. But the church was very. Um, uh, um, and I'm trying to think of a way to say this in a non-disparaging way because I don't want to disparage the church because I don't think it is should be disparaging. Uh, seeker friendly is the word that um, it was popular, you know, a while ago. I don't know if people still use it, but let's attract as many people as we can. Let's um, let's yeah, kind polish. of showy almost. That's exactly what I was just going to say. Let's polish our on-stage Sunday morning experience. So that you can, you know, it's it's absolutely perfect. And perfect's not a word that churches would use. Excellence, there's a word for you. Uh, that it would be just absolutely excellent, absolutely perfect. That people would come and it would be flawless. And they might, they may not tell you that, use that language, but that's that's what the church wants to do. Um, and I was I was in a different place with my faith. That I I liked the authentic, I liked the transparent, I like the I tripped and fell on stage and it was embarrassing, but it was real. Like those kind of things, you know, where someone forgets the words and the slides don't work and the video didn't get done in time. Like it's real. There's yeah, well, we, we would call that messy church, right? So it's some good old fashioned messy church with messy yeah. people. And because that's what my life is like. Right. And, 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 and you know, fall. still like some of the best pastors in the world preach out of their brokenness, which is a – um, you know, a tremendous gift. Yes. And I, I liked that. I liked the transparency. I liked the rawness. I liked when pastors would say things that pastors weren't supposed to say. You know, I liked when pastors were honest about their doubt. And yeah. when a pastor can stand up on stage and say, here's what I believe, but let's be honest, folks, I have no idea. But together, we can move towards figuring this out. You know, that's my kind of pastor. I like that. Uh, so that was the one thing that was happening. The other thing that was happening was in my faith and my theology that I was slowly becoming a non-believer. So those two things were happening at the same time. So specifically back to the local church I was making a lot of changes. And I, I can't say this enough. It is not 
the church's fault and that church is not wrong. That church is, is thriving and doing great things in the community. And uh, I, I can't say enough good things about the church that I was in. They were just moving in a direction differently than I was. Um, so that and the fact that I was becoming a non-believer. So those two things happened simultaneously in those theological meetings as a staff. Um, I, uh, we were very honest about parts of our faith. You know, we would read a chapter about the devil. And I would talk about how I didn't believe in a personification of the devil. I didn't believe in a personification of evil. Um, I didn't believe in hell. Uh, you know, um, I didn't believe in hell as a literal place. You know, I, I can list all the things that I didn't believe that sure. everyone else in that room believed. And we didn't all believe the same. But as I as I became open uh, about what I believed with that group of people, which was probably the first time I'd done that with a group of people. I don't know what made me think I had nothing to lose at that point. I just felt like I needed to be honest about what I believed. And, well, I, and you know, and you are an in incredible man of integrity, I would say. So, you know, for you, I think being honest is the only way that you know how to be, even if it makes everyone else in the room feel a little uncomfortable. Honesty is very important to me. And, uh, um, so we'd have those conversations. I would say what I believed. Very few, if any, people in the room would agree and kind of just look with, like, deer in the head. Like, look. Um, there were also at least one person in the room, maybe a couple who were very new believers, on fire, new, passionate believers. And um, I, for a while, guarded what I said because I didn't want to affect their faith in a negative way. Yeah, because some, sometimes this kind of cynicism is a, is a loaded word, my apologies, but like – Cynicism is absolutely the right word to use. Okay, well, I, I didn't want to be like, well, you were – you know. I was cynical. Uh, you, were, you were cynical, I, you know, so cynicism can be one of those things that can like wreck people, especially when it, somebody who is a pastor is now all of a sudden – like I, I heard you say that you're you were transitioning to non-belief. I mean that that's – that is a that's just not something that happens very often, and it's it's hard to explain how someone transitions to non-belief. Right, and I wouldn't have described myself as that at the time, transitioning into non-belief. That's a hindsight benefit that I have. Um, but I, I knew something at that time. I knew something was up. No, I mean we were talking, and and you would always just say it just doesn't make sense to me. Right, I would and, I, I I would sit in that room with many people who had had very similar experiences to me. Yeah. Gone to Christian colleges, grown up in the church, done Bible school, done Sunday school, were leaders in the church, um, you know, some of them the same age as me, some of them older, some of them younger. And I would look around and think, what is wrong with me? So either I – either something's wrong with me that led me to get here – or something's wrong with them that hasn't led them to get here, or they're all lying. Um, and every day was different about what where I landed with what they were doing. Um, and, you know, eventually I landed in a healthy spot, which was, you know, we could all go to the same college and the same seminary and the same Sunday school, and we would still end up in different places because your life experience has way more effect on what you believe than you may realize. Um, so I would go and sit in my office. I would, 
after several of these meetings where we would lay it out there, I would realize I had very different beliefs. I would go and sit in my office and I would cry and I would, I would close the door. I would turn the lights off so that no one would come in. And there was especially one time where I, I was at a breaking point at that point that I would, I went in my office and I cried out to God. And I said, you know, what is going on? Where are you? Why am I going through this? Um, and I got the same answer that I always got, um, which, Tony, if I'm being honest, it was no answer. I got the same answer that I've always received when I had those kind of questions for God, which was silence. Yeah. And, you know, we could open a whole theological can of worms about prayer and response and all that. But um, so I started... Uh, I realized that something was up and that I needed to do something. I needed to make some kind of change. I, um, that's when you started the wisdom tour. I started what I called the wisdom tour. It was like world renowned. Everyone knew about the wisdom tour. There was a hashtag. <laughs> no. So, so I mean, obviously I knew what it was cause I was walking with you or, or trying to walk with you on this journey a little bit. Um, tell everybody, what the wisdom tour um, was and, and kind of what you set out to do. Yeah, you make it sound so much more epic. <laughs> you took a substantial amount of time off to go listen to people um, and and gain their wisdom. I, I think yeah. that's, you know, in the church world, we would call that a sabbatical. I, I think that there's, there's a ton of value in that. We don't, we, I don't think we do it enough. Yeah. So I, um, one thing that's been important I guess one thing that I, I have found out about myself is that when I am in a tough spot, I need to seek the wisdom of others. Uh, I need to ask advice. I need to lay it all out there and get the ear of someone else. Um, so when I've gone through tough spots in my life, you've been one of the people I've talked to. You know, I've called you up and said, hey, I'm having a real hard time with this. This horrible thing has happened help me <laughs> right. basically. And so I did that. I called, texted, emailed a lot of my friends, a lot of people I respected in the church, some of them pastors, some of them people I barely knew. Um, uh, at least one atheist, um, you know, people, mostly church people and mostly pastors actually. Yeah. And because I, that's, that's the community you grew up in. That's who, you know, that's, I mean, those yeah. are your people. You probably have more pastors in your phone than non-pastors almost. Uh, it's, it's, it's close. It's getting smaller and smaller as I, <laughs> as I right. after this podcast, it'll be me and one other guy. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. So I just started calling these people up and saying, Hey, can we get coffee? Can we get lunch? And I went to them. Uh, so I went to Columbus, I went to Indianapolis, I went to Fort Wayne, I went to Chicago, I went to Ann Arbor, Michigan, I went to um, uh, Toledo, Ohio, you know, I went all over the tri-state area trying to talk to people. I talked to a couple professors from college. I talked to pastors who have known me since I was in middle school. Right. Uh, I talked to a friend of a friend who was an atheist who I only met once. Um, I went to see... Rob Bell speak in Chicago. He meant a lot to me. His his mysticism meant a lot to me in this journey. Um, I went to see a colleague of mine from college. Uh, 
you know, I, I, I went all over the place and all I did was exactly what I did with you just now. I told them what I'd been going through about these theological meetings, about my experiences. And I just said, tell me your thoughts about what I said. And I would ask him, what should I do? What should I do? And um, they, I, it, it was very helpful in the sense that I, I could get it out of me. It was more helpful in the sense that I could get it out of me than it was that I got clarity about what to do. Anyone who's ever read a book or like seen a movie knows how this story ends, which is I knew what I had to do the whole time. And it was just being able to bounce things off other people that helped me see that it was okay to do that. Um, I, I, I knew that I needed to leave the church. I just didn't want to, because if all you've known is the church and if all your education is the church and all your resume, <laughs> practically speaking, you know, your career experience sure. is the church, yeah. um, leaving the church is terrifying. Um, well, yeah, of course it makes a lot. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Cause that's your, that's your community. Those are your people. And, and so, so, you know, you know, you've got to leave the church. And let me let me ask you this. Did I, I mean, because ultimately what this comes down to is it is a matter of, of faith. Right. And, and there isn't uh, there isn't a pastor in the world because, you know, as I'm hearing you tell the story in hindsight, one of the one of the questions that's in my mind currently is like, man, did did I fail Derek as a pastor <laughs> and a friend? Um, it depends how you look at it. Well, I, I mean, through the lens, like. You know, was there was there a piece of advice that I could have given you? Was there um, and and and, you know, I'm, I'm processing this kind of in real time. Right. But um, I, I think the, I think the truth is, no, there is no piece of advice you could have given me, because if what's ironic about it is I I am not going to listen to anyone else's advice, even though I went on this wisdom. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm going to do what I think is right. Well, faith is still in. in, in faith or or the lack of faith or the decision not to have faith is is still an intensely personal you know intimate choice like i mean you, you're the you're the only person that can choose if you're going to believe it or not like right. and i don't think uh i don't think it's that simple though i don't think it's a choice because if i could choose i would have chosen to still believe and i would have chosen to stay um i have been so you would call it kind of an enlightenment? Uh, I yeah, I op- it Pandora's box is what it was. I through the last five years of my life, I opened a box of things that I could not ignore. Um, I learned things about myself, about the way the world works. Uh, I heard other people's thoughts that I just couldn't ignore. I couldn't go back to what I believed before. Um, I am a huge fan of the X-Files. Oh, yeah. I had a poster in my office at the church um, that says, I want to believe, you know, common theme from the X-Files. And uh, that's where I was the whole time. The whole time I was leaving the church, that was my theme. I want to believe. I yeah, want but it, does that feel like um, does that feel like it's in contradiction to what you said earlier about no one could have convinced you otherwise? Like. Like whether or not it's it's true in the understanding, like doesn't the ultimate 
belief rest in the believer? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Um, no one was going to convince me to believe or not to believe. Um, but just personally, on an emotional level, I wanted to stay. I wanted to believe. And I didn't. I did not. I did not believe the same way that I did before. I, I didn't believe in God anymore. Um, and take this how you will. But once I spoke that truth that I don't believe, um, it was like it was simultaneously like everything draining out of my body at once and the biggest burden in the world being lifted off of me at once because Interesting. I, I was simultaneously letting go of so much of my life and my experience and um uh, my childhood, you know, I was letting go of so much of what I had known to be true. But at the same time, I was letting go of everything that had held me back in in figuring out what it was that I really believed. Because I was an amorphous blob trying to fit into a box. And um, the more the older I got, the more amorphous I got. And the more rigid the box got. And I kept trying to fit into that box and I couldn't fit into that box. And once I just let the box go, I could be me, which was a blob. And I may not have ended up being an agnostic atheist. I may have found some kind of faith, some kind of faith, maybe a, a Buddhist faith or uh, even a very progressive mystic Christianity. Um, that's not where I landed, uh, at least right now. Um, but once I spoke that truth and was honest about it and stopped being afraid of it, um, it was so freeing. Now it was still terrifying because there sure. were hard decisions coming up that I had to make. And a lot of hard conversations, right? Cause all those, all those people, I mean, what's that been, what's that been like? I mean, how, um, how many years now have you been out of church work? Not even one. Uh, nine oh, months. Man, is that it? Whew. Months. Um, you still have that new car smell. Yeah, <laughs> that new atheist smell. Um, I, uh, atheist, I like agnostic. The, agnostic atheist. Sorry, I, I don't know if there's an order to put in. Is there uh, not a specific order? I don't. I don't know. I, don't, I haven't done enough research. That's the thing. I don't. I don't need to. Um, so I left the church at the end of April, 2018, uh, and we are recording this in March 2019. So, <clears throat> yeah, nine months ish is when I left. Now I had this conversation with the leadership of my church um, in uh, early, late January, early February. Yeah, yeah. Now, we had had these theological conversations late November, early December. I mean, they obviously were astute to what was happening. Yeah, like they were in those conversations. So they knew, and they knew I was a little out there when it comes to beliefs. And they You could have just said a little out there, man. I Just a little out there. They know <laughs> I love it. And you see me, it's pretty obvious. It's one of your most endearing qualities, honestly. I appreciate that. Uh, so they knew. They knew that I was struggling with this. I. It's hard for me to hide my emotions. So they knew that I was going through a hard time. Um, but then I had been open with them about I. I think that I need. I think that I need to leave. Mm. Um, and they were very gracious with me about giving me time to process. Uh, you know, I told them like, I, this is, 
this is not going to prevent me from being able to teach while I'm still here. And I was not like, it wasn't like, boom, a switch flipped. And the next day I was an atheist at this time. I was still a believer. I, I still, uh, I still believed in something about God. Um, you know, I, I, I at this, I, I still believed that at the very least that Jesus was <clears throat> a man who was more in touch with whatever God is than any other person that had been alive. And so I could still teach about God. Now, <clears throat> if you asked me to teach that accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior was the only way to get saved and go to heaven, I haven't been able to teach that for years. Right. Uh, but, you know, if you ask any, in my opinion, good youth pastor, uh, they're going to tell you that they're, Real goal is to, uh, you know, open up the conversation in these teenagers so that they will be able to explore their own faith. And yeah, so yeah, we, I, we would say we might say awaken the Holy Spirit inside of them. I know you, you wouldn't say that. But <laughs> I, I would um, say that, like have an encounter with God. Yeah, absolutely. And so I was still able to do my job and I didn't feel like I wasn't able to do my job. Um, it wasn't after until I actually cut ties with the church, you know. I'm not there anymore that I started to explore um, a little more of what some atheist authors have to say a little more about what some people who don't believe in God have to say um, because I felt like I had a little more freedom to read those kind of things than I did before. You know, someone walks by your office in the church and you're reading an atheist book like, I, I can't say I didn't do that, but like the people ask questions, you know, it looks weird. And well, and I, it, you know, it, I mean, it is a, a matter of integrity, right? I mean, absolutely. the church is paying you to promote what the church believes. Yeah. And, and yeah. so not doing that would be irresponsible. And, and right. Which I've is not known you to be you, right. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, uh, so I, I left, um, started realizing um that my life outside of the church doesn't really look a whole lot different than my life inside the church mm -hmm. um i have been in a church twice since i left the church um once for a wedding and once for a baptism um but i have not gone to church on sundays um and if i'm completely honest I hadn't um, mentally gone to church in years. Right. Uh, you know, and I'm not the only pastor who's been there. Um, Amen. I was physically in church. But also one of the things when you have responsibilities on Sunday mornings that are outside the sanctuary, you don't get to go to church a whole lot. Um, yeah, youth pastors, children's youth pastors. pastors. Children's pastors, you know, it's not <laughs> – I'm going to say it. It's not fair for them, for us. Uh you know, we kind of get the raw end of the deal when it comes to our own spiritual growth because – and it's not like what we do is not important, but like we are relegated to reading a transcript of the sermon on Monday or watching it online later. Nothing against online church. It's very important, but you like to be able to be there as much as you can. Yeah, because I know the community and stuff, right? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean when I worked at uh, Ginghamsburg, there were – five church services on a weekend two on saturday three on sunday i worked four of them 
um, which left me one opportunity to go to church. And it was at seven o'clock on a Saturday night after I had already worked for three hours. Um, and when I was at Ginghamsburg, I stopped going. When I left Ginghamsburg Church, I probably hadn't attended a service there for, I would say, seven to eight months. And I, I really hope, because um, I, I, I know that this is convicting me, but I really hope that, you know, for the pastors out there who are listening, that we take the time to evaluate the, the spiritual temperature and the ability to connect with our, our staff team, make sure that they're getting engaged in a community, whether it be at, at your church or somewhere else. Yeah. Well, the, the other thing is I was able to do that because nobody noticed. Um, it's it, it, when we went to Ginghamsburg, it was a uh, requirement of staff to attend weekend services. It was a requirement. You had to be there because you had to know what's going on. You had to hear what the pastors were saying. You had to be a part of the life of the church. But I got away with it because nobody noticed. And you, everyone who was there signed attendance pads. And if you were on staff, you signed your attendance pad because that's how they knew you were in church. And uh, nobody ever came to me and said, hey, you haven't been going to church for the last month. Why is that? So not only, you know, did I not go, but I was able to not go because nobody noticed. After doing it for a few times, I thought, well, I nobody cares. <laughs> you know, nobody knows that I'm not here, so I can get away with this. Yeah. So where where are you now? I mean, like kind of I mean, you're you're working in a civilian job, if I could use that yeah, term. Civilian job. I have retired from active duty and I am civilian. <laughs> you're, you're no longer uh, serving in the Lord's army. Yeah. So I um after I left the church about a month after that, I um started working in a customer service job, just entry level, you know, answering phones. Um Customer service. Uh, I it, it's a local business, a small business. Um, I uh, worked in that job for about uh, eight months, and then um, got promoted. You know, kept moving up in the company. Uh, they liked me. I the skills that I had, a lot of soft skills that were applicable to customer service, um, and I am. I can honestly say that I have never been happier than where I am right now. That's awesome. Um, the word I use. So I, I met uh, just recently in December, I met, I just had breakfast with the pastor of the most recent church that I served at. Uh, Cause I, I still stay in touch. They're still my friends. Um, some of them I would call best friends. Um, we stay in touch. We get together every once in a while. But anyway, I had breakfast with him. First time I talked to him since I left the church just catching up really. Um, and I told him, uh, you know, for the first time, I'm not really, for the first time in my not life, I'm not thinking about what's next. Yeah. I'm not concerned about where I'm going after this. What you're is my, kind of, you're kind of in just a still kind of chill space. Right. And I didn't have a word for it. And I said, like, is that okay? Is that weird that I'm not like, I'm not concerned about the future. I've never been a worrier. So like I'm already at the low end of that, but he was like, no, I think there's something to be said about contentment. Mm. And that was a word I'd never used to describe where I am before, but that's exactly right. I am content where I am and content doesn't mean I'm settling. It doesn't mean that I have just made peace with the crappy things around me. Content 
I am very happy and I am free and I can be who I am without constantly looking over my shoulder to wonder what congregation member is in the aisle at the grocery store, you know, what watching uh, you pick up beer. Yeah. Yeah. What parent of a youth is, you know, seeing my Instagram posts, you know, what, like those kind of things. And I'm not an awful person. You know, you're, I, you're a great person, but I mean, let's be honest. I, I do follow you on Instagram and you, you have enjoyed some drag shows lately. I love drag shows, Tony. And this is why I love drag shows. Let's spend an hour and a half talking about drag shows because drag shows, I really don't want to spend an hour and a half, but there's something, there's something theological about drag shows. Here's your, here's your blurb for the beginning of your episode. (laughs) People who do drag are uninhibited. They are being they're expressing a part of who they are with like zero reservations, like negative reservations. Um, They are up there bucking society in a way that brings them so much joy. And I, the last drag show I went to, there were protesters outside, Uh, you know, typical, your typical like Westboro Baptist style protesters. Oh man. It was just like, I mean, the church has got to do better than that. Right. I don't even know if they were with the church. I can't technically affiliate. They definitely were with the church. They had Bible verses on their signs. It was awful. But they like this is all I'm going to say about drag. It's it, 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 it speaks to me because it's people being who they are, despite all societal limits and expectations. Uh, well, and, and yeah, and, and I guess my point in that was that there was no way that you were going to do that and be the youth pastor at a church. But the thing is. Uh, I did that stuff before. You I just didn't put on your Insta story, post. right? I yeah. wasn't allowed to let people know about it. And there was a um, – Well, because there's there's influence that comes with those kind of positions of authority, and, and, and rightfully so. I, I don't think that that's a – I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's okay to have boundaries around, um, you know, what we – I mean there's a certain calling to serve a church, and, and so, there you, you know, you can't necessarily be – cavalier about you know what you're sharing or not sharing you need to you need to be prudent about some of that stuff because it it can be misinterpreted without a conversation and and what i would say is it can be misinterpreted without intentional disciple making what you the last part of what you just said is what i agree with most is that without a conversation it can be misinterpreted um prudence for prudence sake i don't agree with no i and, and nor do i i mean I, I think that, you know, hopefully it would create conversation, you know, in that, in that sort of environment. I've and, always expected. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, we can we can have a whole different conversation around the theology of of drag. Um, you know, <laughs> we could. But really. that whole, yeah, maybe next time. I've always respected pastors who have um, facilitated an atmosphere in their church that is open enough that the people in their church know they can have the kind of conversations with their pastor that the pastor feels free to you know specifically with social media but really it applies to everywhere to be who they are without reservation because they know if someone in their congregation had an issue they would be approachable right and 
Um, it's usually pastors of smaller churches because those kind of conversations are hard to have when you have a church of 10,000 people. Um, but I've always respected those pastors who, um, you know, depending on what your church believes, are not afraid to post a picture of them having a beer with somebody. Sure. Um, and if questioned, have a good reason for doing so. Uh, you know, the whole cliche about who Jesus surrounded himself with and, uh, you know, the types of people he intentionally sought out. Uh, but I've always respected that in pastors that, you know, I know that my congregation knows that um, they can have a conversation with me if they have any disagreements or, or issues. I love that. I love that. So uh, a million dollar question. If most of my audiences are going to be practicing Christians, probably pastors in a lot of cases, um, what would you tell them is the best way to approach an agnostic atheist or or someone who who identifies as agnostic or atheist or just a non-believer? What's what's the what's the piece of wisdom that you have for um, the other side of the aisle? That is a really hard question because. Um, I, I can only speak for myself, and I think in my experience with some other people who are atheists I, that I'm a rare breed and that I don't, um, I don't hate the church. Um, I have some cynicism, but not near as much cynicism as some other um, when you, you know, to your credit, you've done the hard work of, of working through your cynicism because there were seasons where your cynicism was. Oh, absolutely. When like I burn the whole thing down. Yeah. And I'm still in the process of getting out of this. Mm-hmm. But when I left, I was in the angry ex-girlfriend phase or angry ex-boyfriend phase. You know, I was uh, I wanted nothing to do with the church. I had I had very little good things to say. Um, you know, I let me stand firm. I do not believe in God and. I I can't I don't think I would be convinced otherwise. But uh this is a really hard conversation because one of the hardest things for me is weighing what I believe to be true and dealing with people who um are willfully ignorant of that. Does that make sense? I'm trying to say this in the yeah. most tactful way. What, what I hear you saying is um, is be respectful of other people. Right. So it's best summed up. I, I read a book um, by a guy named Mike McCarg. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. It goes by Science Mike. He wrote a book called Finding God in the Waves, which was his struggle with um, l- leaving Christianity, becoming an atheist, and then returning and becoming a believer. Uh you know, very science minded and his little old grandma, you know, him ha- having this uh, struggle with believing and um, his grandma, you know, was a conservative believer. But his thought was, you know, I believe that she is wrong. But who am I to to tell her who am I to take what has meant everything to this woman and um, drives so much of the best parts of her and 
just crush it. And, you know, what he ended up finding out is that, like, you're you're then um, you're not giving people of faith a lot of credit because people of faith are pretty firm in what they believe usually. Um, and you should be tested. You should experience people who don't believe and you should uh, have conversations with them and you should explore atheism. Because yeah, we, we if, all need atheist friends, I think. If your faith is strong, it will only make you better. It will only make you a better believer. Right. Yeah, yeah I'm down with that. Um, or, in my opinion, um, you will see the truth and <laughs> you will become not a believer. <laughs> <laughs> so my struggle is I firmly believe that what I believe is the truth right now. Yeah. What's interesting about that dichotomy and the word truth in general is that now you've used it for two things that are in complete opposition of each other. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, I don't have the answer for, is there an absolute truth? I guess that is one benefit of being a Christian is I can say I do. <laughs> yeah. You can say you do. And, and I, so man, back to the original question, what would, what, how should people of faith, especially pastors approach agnostics or atheists? Um, like I said, it, it, uh, they are so different, and I think a lot of people um, who are atheists are that way because they've had really negative experiences with church or really negative experiences with people of faith or some kind of belief system. Now, not all. I don't even know if most, but I think a lot. Um, so uh, – I, I think the best thing you can do is just listen. <laughs> That's the answer to every question about how you interact with anybody. Uh, just listen. Um, and you might not have anything to say. You know, you can't uh, you can't try to convince people that they're wrong. You can't try to bring them to your side. Um, you can just have a conversation. You can listen. You can let them express their thoughts. You can express your thoughts, but just as if you were going to convince them of something, you have to be equally able to be convinced, which is a very dangerous place to be. Now, they sure. might not convince you that you shouldn't believe in God, but something in the conversation might give you a different way of belief that makes more sense to you than what you currently believe, and you have to be prepared to deal with that. Um, right. <clears throat> now, I'm not – I hope this doesn't come off as arrogant because it goes both ways. When I have a conversation with someone who believes, I have to be willing to admit that something they say might change me, um, and I have to be open to that or else it's not a conversation. It's It's a – uh, just pe two people talking at each other. It's people talking. It's an argument. It's a it's a sermon and a listener. You know, there's uh, a conversation has to be had, and to define that, there has to be mutual agreement and mutual openness to the fact that um, something the other person says might change you. Um, and. That's re like I said, that's really dangerous. That's a really dangerous place to be, especially if you're a church leader. And so maybe I would say don't have conversations with atheists, but I don't think that's the right thing either, because I think you should have conversations with people of all types of belief and background. Well, uh, I, let, let me say it like this, if, if I can, if I can try to summarize what I what I think I hear you saying is 
Um, go in with it with an open heart. Listen with your entire um, body in terms of heart, mind, spirit, and and just be open to love each other through it, understanding that it it may change you. Right. I think um, in this it's. <clears throat> it's hard to have this conversation with a person you don't know very well because I think one of the keys for me, and this is probably just my personality, my love language is I need to be assured that the relationship is still okay yeah. through the conversation. So like <laughs> I need to take breaks every 15 minutes for you to tell me, Hey, I still love you. And we're still friends. I, I do still love you by the way. And we are still friends been much longer than 15 minutes i was becoming very worried <laughs> um, no but uh, you know i know we have that relationship and that rapport we can have that without that but <clears throat> if i'm approaching this conversation for the first time with someone which is something i have had to do a lot over the last year sure um, i i need that reassurance or else i'm probably not going to enter into the conversation with you and you know, this may be hard for some people to hear. If I haven't had the conversation with you, um, it might mean that I uh, am scared of what you will, how you will respond to it and that the relationship may be broken. And that might not be true at all for the other person, but it, it stems out of my own brokenness, my own insecurity. Man, so I, I cannot believe how fast an hour, uh, an hour went. Um, <laughs> So I, you know, I'm really thankful for your openness and your vulnerability. Uh, I do need to ask you the one question that I, I like to ask all my guests sure. uh, because I think it's um, adds a little bit of consistency. Um, if you could, what's that? Boxer briefs. Oh, okay. Boxer briefs. There it is. Um, the, the, no, I'm keeping it. <laughs> the question piece of advice to your younger self. And I know you listened to my podcast, so you knew, you knew it was coming. If you were to go back and give one piece of advice to your younger self, let's say Derek heading to Bluffton. Oh, my God. What would you say? I'm going to say something that is funny but also true, and then I'm going to think about it a little more and give you another answer. Um, my first practical piece of advice would be don't go to a private Christian college and study <laughs> <laughs> I have given this advice to people who are. Yeah, seeking. no, sure, 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 sure. Um, go to college. Uh, go first of all, go to a, a community college first, and then to a four-year school. Study business, marketing, counseling, uh, psychology, right. something you anything can, else. Um, it's not religion. Then go to seminary. You know, after that, because you can go to seminary with a marketing degree. I, I, I did. I went with the general studies degree. Yeah, uh, that would be my practical advice is like keep your keep your options open. It doesn't mean you're not you're not uh, downplaying your faith by keeping your options open. Yeah. Uh, you're just keeping your options open as simple as that. My um, a little more spiritual or theological piece of advice um, or, or just just I mean, other advice. Like what, what would you want to tell yourself looking back on all this this journey that you've been on for the last decade? Uh, man, I wanted to come up with something really insightful that would like blow all your other guests out of the water. Um, but the best thing I can come up with is just that it's going to be okay. Um, because it's going to be okay. Right. Um, 
uh, okay, now that I've said that, I feel like I should say more. Uh, surrounding yourself with people who care about you, no matter who you are, um, which I did. So it's advice that I, you know, whether I knew it was advice or not, I did that. I <clears throat> always sought out people in my life who cared about me, whose wisdom I respected and was not afraid to talk to them. Um, you still do it. Yeah. It's important whether, you know, no matter where you are, what you believe to do that. Uh, find find your people. Find the people who you are safe with, who you can be honest and vulnerable with. And I always had that, whether it be my parents or um, close friends, you know, whatever it was. Um, yeah. But really, then it's going to be OK. Like no matter <clears throat> no matter how dark it is, no matter how uncertain it is, um, one of the things that I still hold true that is I don't know if it originates in scripture, but it's in scripture is that this will pass. Um, it's an important thing to remember in the dark times, but it's also important to remember in the light times is that this is going to pass. Whatever you're in now is temporary. Um, this house, this situation, this job, this life, it's going to pass. And so yeah. enjoy the parts of it that you can learn from it. Um, but know that it's not permanent because nothing is. I love that, man. I love that. And I love you. I appreciate your honesty and your vulnerability. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if you remember the conversation or not, but one morning we were having coffee at Panera and, you know, we were talking about this whole idea about your faith and what it would take. And I was like, you know, you asked me what I thought about it. And I said, well, man, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm praying for you. You know, I'm, I'm still praying for you that you, you know, that you would come back and, and you said, well, that would take a miracle. And I, and I replied with them, I'm, I'm pretty much counting on it. So, um, you know, I appreciate you. I appreciate you, man. So thank you so much. If, if, uh, if my listeners wanted to catch up with you, um, uh, what's the best way to find you if you want to be found? My home address. And <laughs> Perfect. Um, geez, I don't know, probably like, um, if they want to see some of those drag shows on Instagram. Oh yeah, follow um, <clears throat> follow the Ruby Girls. Find them out. They're a great nonprofit drag troupe in Dayton that does a lot. Am I allowed to plug stuff? They do yeah, a lot. Yeah, fine. Of, uh, We're way off rails. Um, HIV AIDS, uh, but you know a lot of different causes. Anyway, uh, the best way to find me. Um, can I give my email address? Email or Instagram, if you want. If you prefer that people. I mean, however you want to connect or Facebook or whatever. Um, uh, whatever yeah. you want, man. Or or do, nothing. I do not have Facebook. Um, I got rid of that, which is a great thing that I recommend everyone who's able to do to do. Um, my Instagram and my Twitter are both at uh, Derek Sucks. I think you just wanted to make me say that. Uh, <laughs> spell, it, spell it for me. Yeah, it's D-E-R-I-C-K-S-U-C-K-S. <laughs> right, at Derek Sucks. Uh, you're going to put my first and last name in the like description or something? Yeah, yeah. Okay. My email is just my first and last name at gmail.com. Derek Latimer at gmail.com. That's probably the best way to get a hold of me because you're not like in the public sphere with your communication. So if you want to ask questions or something, sure. Got it, man. Got it. Well, I love you, bro. And uh, I'm sure we'll catch up real soon. Love you too, man. I appreciate you. You're doing great work with this. Uh, keep it up. That conversation was awesome. I love the honesty, the vulnerability. I love the real talk that we got to have in that moment. If you found yourself listening to this conversation and now you're not sure what to do next and you've got questions, 
I want to invite you to reach out to me, twmilt.com. I'd be more than happy to engage in some dialogue. You can also hook me up on Instagram, and we would love to talk with you about what you might be thinking. As always, I just want to say thanks for being with me on this journey, being a part of these conversations, and anytime you share this podcast, it goes a long way in helping spread the word. So thank you. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for giving us a review. I couldn't do it without you. Until next time, see you guys real soon. Like what you heard? Please take a minute to rate and share so others like you can find good practices for faith and life.